If you have your Bibles there, I'd love you just to join me in turning to Romans chapter 1, verses 1 this morning. And we'll have it up on the screen as well, but use your own device. I, uh, let me read this to you. If, if, if you're aware, uh, Paul writes this incredibly long introduction to the church at Rome. and All these people who uh, um, uh, live in, were in the church in this particular city. And Rome was quite a big city. It became a bigger city. And Paul wrote this letter. And this is the introduction. And what a long introduction it is. But it goes like this. Uh, let me read it to you. It says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience unto the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What introduction. I'm glad that we don't introduce ourselves all like that, but that's what Paul does when he writes his letter to the Roman church. Um, five years ago, I had an incredible experience I've never had before and hopefully never have again, but I... Uh, I was sitting in my office and I had a phone call from Fiona who's in the front office and she said, there's two plain clothes detectives who need to come and see you. I said, really? I'll come out and get them. I come out, I introduce myself, I welcomed them in with a big smile. I had no idea why they wanted to talk to me. And they sat down in my office and we sat together and they said, we want to talk to you about a murder. I said, really? <laughs> That's interesting. I said, what happened? They said, well, this person was murdered in glass. And I said, I know that person. They got more interested in me. And as we discussed this situation, the crunch point came, and I know that some of you uh, know, I've told you this story, but the crunch point came in my life right there when they said, and last Sunday you were at a certain pub in Gladstone at the bar, and we'd just like to question on what you were doing there around lunchtime. And so I paused for a moment and thought, I've, I've actually never been to a bar in Gladstone <laughs> I've never actually, uh, particularly the one that we're talking about, and, and, and I just paused. I never answered their question because what I said to them was this. I said, um, I think you have the wrong person. And as they quickly um, scuffled, shuffled their notes around and had a look, they said, we didn't think you'd actually be at a bar in Gladstone on a Sunday. I said, oh, I'm glad about that because I think I was in church that particular Sunday as I am in most Sundays. They apologized quickly put their notes together, shook my hand and walked out the door. The problem was, is when they asked me that question, where were you, you were at a bar on last Sunday, I realized that they had the wrong person, is because there's another person in this city named James Hewitt. In actual fact, I don't think he lives here anymore because I haven't heard from the police for a while. <laughs> That's the truth of the matter. They, the police had mistaken my identity. There was a mistaken identity. That's the reality of it. In actual fact, the police on no less than four occasions have held me up, rang me up, questioned me about murders, <laughs> about drug situations, about statements that I've never written, 
And it all happened in a space of about four or so years, about five years ago. And, uh, and uh, I realized every time there was a mistaken identity because my mate, Jamie Hewitt, was up to some mischief and it wasn't me. This morning, I want to just encourage us. I want to talk about who you are. Because I think one of the most powerful things, about, not I don't think, I know one of the most powerful things about your life is who you think you are. It's, it's not what other people think you are, it's who you think you are. And coming to understand the, where your identity lays and where your confidence comes from and where your hope comes from. Because the truth is, if you have an element of healthy identity, an identity that you understand is healthy, you are more likely to make healthy choices in life, more likely to be able to establish great relationships. But if your identity isn't so doing so well, and it's based in something that's temporary, I've discovered that sometimes choices that we make aren't so good, and that the relationships that we try to build never seem to sometimes get really established. And a whole lot of stuff can go wrong because I'm glad that God just talks about in Scripture. He says, it's in, Jesus says, it's in me you live and move and have your what? Being. It's in Him. It's in Him. And, and when we have our identity firmly placed, our confidence and our hope firmly in God, we discover that life goes just so much better. Because I've discovered our God is unchanging. He's a rock. We can depend on him. We wake up every day, and even though the, the weather may be different, God isn't. He's unchanging. But if I place my identity and my confidence and my hope in things or other people and other situations or circumstances rule my heart, I've discovered that they're changing, and it's not a good basis to build your Christian life around. So I want to talk about who you are this morning. Um, this passage of Scripture... Paul wrote uh, 56 years after Christ was born, 56 AD. Paul himself became a Christian uh, at 35 AD. So about, maybe about, I don't know, two or three years, give or take a year, after Christ died. So Paul became a Christian at 35 AD. He wrote this letter to the Romans at 56. It's 21 years. He's now, he's now matured and he's grown up and and he's got some understanding and wisdom about him and knowledge about him. And he writes this letter to, uh, to, write to the letter to the Romans. And uh, he makes a statement in the opening passage there that I just find incredible. And this is what it says. I'll just press it through. Is this working? Obviously not. There we go. It's probably not me working yet. It's probably someone else. But it says, Romans chapter 1, verse 1, I just emphasize that one verse. It says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. Here is a verse that doesn't seem, it's got 17 words, doesn't seem to say much, but it really does say a lot. It says an incredible lot. One verse, the very first letter, very first verse that Paul wrote to the Romans. In actual fact, Paul wrote a lot of letters, and if you read them, um, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon. You'll see Paul wrote all of those. And we see that the first thing that he says in all these letters he wrote, the very first word that he states is he states his name. He says, Paul. Can everybody just say that with me? Paul. Paul. And I thought about it. Why would Paul state his name every time he writes a letter? 
particularly here, of course, to the Romans. It's the first word he says. And I want to say this. I believe Paul likes to write his name because Paul was not always Paul, was he? He was what? Saul. I think Paul, not because he's going to get so, such a great thrill about it, but I think that he is, when he hears his name read or when he says his name, I believe the reality is he remembers all the things that God has done for him to get to this point where he hears Paul. Because he's no longer Saul. Because the Saul, is, as bad as the Saul was, is as good as the Paul is. And we see in, in this passage, Paul says, come on. He's making a statement, I believe, about the transforming power of God. I think he's making a declaration about his life. Paul. It wouldn't read so well if he said Saul, would it? Just imagine we read every letter and said Saul. We'd be thinking, just wait a second, that's his past life. Come on, that's, that's something. Why is he mentioning Saul? That, that's the, Saul, you know, you know, everybody knows who Saul was. Saul was the guy who was a religious fanatic. Saul was the guy who, who stuffed up his life. He had a, a life full of bad choices, terrible mistakes, a lot of heartache and pain he caused not only to himself but to many other people. And it seems that he took delight in hurting other people, especially those from the Christian movement at that time. And of course, he was the one who consented to the stoning of Stephen, the first Christian martyr in the New Testament. So Saul was not a good chap. He, he, was a, he, he, had a, he had a passion for the wrong thing. He was passionate about it. But you know, if we, so if we saw, saw the word Saul at the start of every letter, you'd have to think, Paul, come on, give it up. That's your past life. Wouldn't you think that? That's your past life. Paul is your new life. God's renamed you. You're a transformed man. But you know, I discovered sometimes that sometimes we don't, we don't change our name. I know that we literally don't change our name, but God changes our life. But sometimes I think if we were to write a letter, you'd put your old inscription, your old life. You, you remember that too much. And God says, come on, it's Paul, not Saul. It's a new life, isn't it, when we, we come into Christ? I'm not saying that we don't remember the past and we don't testify of God's goodness, but, you know, it's a new life. And Paul says, come on, I'm Paul. I'm no longer Saul. And I think some of us live in the realm where we sometimes would rather say Saul than Paul. And I say, come on, come out of that. If you, if you know Jesus Christ, he wants to transform lives, doesn't he? He wants to transform lives. Um, he's no longer what... Paul is no longer what others call him, he's what God calls him, and Paul is the transformed man. We see God, uh, we see God all the way through the scriptures, he shows us how he is in the transformation business, and I love that. He says in Romans chapter 12 verse 2, and he says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Paul wrote that, Paul saying, if you want to know what God wants you to do, your destiny, allow your identity to be transformed. That's what's really happening there. And you know, even though my identity, uh, as I shared that story earlier, was mistaken, I tell you what the devil doesn't do. He doesn't mistake in your identity. He wants to steal your identity. He's not just a mistake for the devil. He's come to steal, to kill, and destroy. And if he can get you focusing, allowing your identity to be in other things instead of your God, he'd be quite happy for that to happen. So he wants to steal it, not just mistaken it. 
The devil knows what he's up to, but Paul says, come on, be transformed. And you know, it says there in this verse, don't be conformed to pattern, be renewing of your mind. In other words, renew where you have your hope and confidence. Come on, renew where you have your hope and confidence. And when you do, then you'll be able to prove what God's will is for your life. Then you'll be able to see something of the future destiny that your heavenly Father has for you. And I'd like to say this morning, until we can gain a true identity of who we are in Christ, we'll struggle to ever really be able to fulfill what He has for us in Christ. See, your destiny... If you were to say, what's your destiny? Well, it's all the promises of God. It's the promises of God. Your destiny is healing. Amen? Your destiny is miracles. Your destiny is faith to see mountains move or circumstances change. Your destiny is to be full of God's presence, breaking the power of sinful habits. Your destiny is to see your family serving God. Whatever it may be for you this morning, that is what God wants to move you into. Your destiny is living in blessing and not struggles all the time anybody amen to that you see that's what god wants for you but you know we've got to understand that uh it all comes out of what where, where our identity lays uh, there was a guy in the bible called simon and it was his, his name meant reed and uh jesus comes up to simon and says your name is simon meaning reed and it's no longer going to be called simon but i'm going to call you peter and Peter means a piece of rock or a little rock. And it's, he says, come on, because I want you to be part of building my church. will be strong and not weak. He says, you're going to be a part of building the church in the future, church of the living God. And this is what he says. He says, your destiny and your identity go hand in hand. It's like a hand in a glove. See what he's saying? Because your name is no longer Reed, it's Peter. I'm proclaiming something over your life. And I'm thankful that God proclaims over our life when we come to him something of life and truth and a hope and a confidence, isn't it? And a destiny in him. That's what he proclaims. And, and he says, come on, your identity, when you get a healthy identity, your destiny becomes so much more clearer. And, he's, and as Peter went on, he realized that was the truth. Because um, I think we'd all realize this morning, identity is not in titles. You know, it's not in a position. Uh, I'm thankful for titles and positions, but that's not what makes me who I am and not makes what you... Uh, you won't fulfill destiny out of that. There was a, there was a guy called Moses, and uh, he fled into the desert because he'd murdered someone, and God catches up with him in a burning bush experience, and this whole thing captivates Moses' attention, and the burning bush, God speaks out of the burning bush, and uh, Moses says, or uh, God says to Moses, Moses, I'm going to take you and you're going to go back into, into Egypt and you're going to lead the million plus people, Jewish people, out of slavery, out of e Egypt's hands and you're going to lead them into a promised land. And it's interesting, God, this is what God outlays. So God talks to Moses about his destiny, about his future, about his hope and what he's going to do. And yet Moses comes back with this, who am I? So even though God speaks about destiny, Moses couldn't see it right there and right away because of the way he, he says, who am I? Who, who, who am I? What am I about? I, I couldn't do that. And so he, he, his, his identity was a little unhealthy. 
And as God continued to speak to Moses, and Moses continued to counteract everything God said, he says, well, I can't speak properly, and I can't do this, and I can't do that, and I can't do... You know, and, and as Moses continued to counteract, God would come back and say, yes, you can. You can do this and this, and I'll, you know, I'll give you the... Your rod will turn into a snake. I'll give you Aaron to be your support and helper. You know, and, and finally, Moses gets it. And we see the reality is, is that when we know who we are in God, then we'll know what we can do in God. But until we know who we are in God, we'll never know what God can do in us and through us. So this morning, church, we see that, uh, that the reason the devil works so hard to destroy our identity is because when we get a hold of who we are in God and we have confidence and a hope in Him, truly we'll be able to fulfill what He has for us to do. And until we do that, we, we're going to struggle. So Saul has an encounter with Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 9. And his name gets changed from Saul to Paul. And, and the truth is, his identity up to that point, as Saul was based in knowledge and based in his ability as a Pharisee, and uh, Paul was the best of the best in relation to his Pharisaic ability and his understanding of the law and all those types of things. Uh, Saul was at the top of his game. And yet the reality was when Jesus Christ encountered him on the road to Damascus and he fell to the ground and his eyes were blinded, Paul had an incredible encounter with God and he, he, something changed and shifted to the point where Saul gets up out of the dirt and he doesn't talk about who he is. He talks about his destiny. He says, God, Lord Jesus, what do you want me to do for you? Can you see that? He says, what do you want me to do for you? And Jesus says, I want you to go to Damascus and wait for further instructions. And that's exactly what happened. And Saul went to Damascus and there's a, 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 a disciple called Ananias uh, came along and said, laid hands on Saul. And the scale, something like scales fell from his eyes. He could see again. He, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, it says in Acts chapter 9. And God gave him the next part of the um, process and his destiny unfolded. And right there we see the encounter of God. And I want to say that sometimes we just need that encounter with our Heavenly Father. When was the last time you just had a fresh touch of God's hand upon your life? Because when you do, I want to tell you, it, something shifts. Something shifts from what we, we think we are to who we start to see ourselves as God sees us. And when that happens, I tell you, destiny can unfold in our lives. Destiny can unfold. So Saul becomes Paul. You see, when we see who we are in him, we'll see what we can do for him. And when we see who, are in, when we, who we are in him, we can see what is in our inheritance. Our inheritance is, is all that he's got, peace and joy and a hope and a future. And until that point, I think we could struggle. And I just believe what sometimes in the encounters, like Paul had an encounter, God encounters us and something can shift, you know, straight away. And it can shift from, oh, I can't do this to, hey, God, what can you do through me? And we start to get a better destiny. Here's the second thing that we see that uh, Paul says. He says, not only Paul, but he says, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Here's an interesting thought. He says, not only am I Paul, but I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Um, Paul realized it wasn't just salvation, but it also was, there was a new level he needed to go to, and that is become a servant 
of the living God. He was no longer the man he used to be. Now he's a servant of someone else. And he's a servant of God. The truth is, Paul used to be, as Saul, a servant of the devil. Now he's a servant of God. He declares something. And a servant is a person who does what the master wants. A servant is a person who's not, he's not just saved, but he's sold out to the causes of Christ. Sound like you this morning? Romans 12.1 says this. It says, brothers and sisters, I urge you, or brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as what? Come on, offer as what? Living sacrifices. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do you know the word living sacrifice, if we were to translate it from the Greek again into other words that could be in the English, it would mean basic requirements. Have you ever had the thought that, you know, one day when I really mature in my Christian faith, then I'll, I'll be a living sacrifice? Paul says, no, it's the basic requirement for living the Christian life, is being a living sacrifice. That means being alive, but dead to the old nature. The Word of God says it's no longer Christ. Uh, it's no longer I that liveth, but Christ that lives in me. Paul's referring to this. He's saying, come on. Living sacrifice is basic requirement for Christian living. And I think, uh, you know, we could, sometimes we can say, well, you know, uh, that's easy to say, but sometimes not easy to do, and I agree. And if we were to talk about death and dying, you know, there's people, I suppose, that every day or every week of the year, there's people who are dying uh, for Christ. In other words, literally being martyred. Every week of the year, I think people around this world are being martyred for the cause of Christ. And, and, and I ask myself the question, if I had someone put a gun to my head and say, you know, are you willing to confess Christ? Or if you don't, uh, are you willing to reject him? I'll uh, let you live. If you do, I'll shoot you. And I'm not quite sure how I, what I'd do in that situation. I'm not quite sure you know, until we're put in that situation, um, what we would do. But you know what? I think something that I think is true is the reality is that as hard as it may be um, to maybe, uh, you know, if someone wanted to kill us, to say, no, I live for Christ. But I think something that's even harder is to live for Christ but die to self. Even harder than maybe being martyred is to live for Christ and still stay alive but die to self. And Paul says, I want to be a, a bondservant. I want to continually let Christ live within me. In other words, I want my agenda. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, I die daily. That's what Paul said. I die daily. Who's ever, who's ever said, oh, man, you know, you've got to die sometimes with that agenda and that thought and that way and that life. Come on, church. I think God's saying, you know, every day we have to sometimes be like Paul and just die daily to the things in our lives. Oh, I, um, 22 years ago, my grandfather died, and I, uh, it was the morning of his funeral, and there was to be a viewing, you know, when the relatives go and, and view the body. And my grandmother wanted to go to see her husband, my grandfather, uh, for the very last time, and I said, I'll take you, Grandma. So we drove to the uh, funeral parlor. Uh, the funeral director was there. He opened the little doors of the chapel, and about six or seven meters down the end of the chapel, little chapel in this funeral parlor, was the coffin with my grandfather in. My grandmother puts her arm in my arm, and I lead her down the, down the aisle of this little chapel. Quite slowly, we get to the coffin, and, um, and, and there's my grandfather. His name was Keith. 
he was, uh, he was a great grandfather. And there, was, and there was moments of sadness and tears, obviously. But in the midst of that, uh, that moment, there was also this interesting point of discussion I had with my grandmother that was almost comical. And this is what happened. She said, that's not right. I'm going, what? That's, that's your, isn't that him? <laughs> no, I didn't say that, but that's all right. She says, that's not right. I said, what's not right? She said, they've got the wrong shirt on him. I said, oh, really? And as I kind of, you know, in that moment, you're, you're kind of grieving, and, I'm, and my attention was diverted from grief for a moment. I said, what do you mean, Grandma? Well, that every day of his life, he'd wear a white shirt, because he was a businessman, with buttons down the front, and the shirt that he was wearing in the coffin was a blue shirt with this frill, made him look like a circus clown, all around down the front and around his neck. And I thought, what are they? And I thought, she's right. That's not, if he had a choice, he wouldn't have chosen that shirt. Have you ever considered that dead people don't have options? End of the point. I just think Christ, Paul said, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a bond servant. And when he said that I just die daily, I just think people... God wants us to live in his blessing. And so often I think we live in less than that because we continue our old, we let the old man rule. I'll put my hand up first of all. But I think God just says, come on. Come on. Uh, Jeff talked about consistency. Man, it's such an important thing every day. Dying daily. And I have to die daily. Because a dead person hasn't got options. Here's the third thing Paul said. He said, not only am I Paul, not only am I a bondservant, he said, but I've called to be an apostle. He says, I've called to be an apostle. Here's the third symbol. He says, come on, there's something um, I've called to be, an apostle. And you know, I, I, I like this thought because if you know anything about Paul, all his life he was a tent maker. He made tents to make a living, uh, and, uh, but his calling was different to what he did. And you see, what you do is not, all, not, not who you are necessarily. And uh, I used to be, a, I, I used to work at a power station here in Gladstone many years ago. And, a, and I had the title of a apprentice for a while. And then I had the title of a technical officer for a while. But I always realized that was what I, what I did. But it wasn't who I w was. If that's good English, it isn't. So what you do is not who you are. And where you are does not determine who you are. Come on. And where you may be today, you know, because Paul obviously wasn't in a good spot when he was Saul, but what, where he was does not determine, need to determine what you become or who you are. And so often we live as Christians sometimes, and, uh, you know, what we do sometimes, we think, well, that defines me. I'm, I'm, I'm a teacher, or I'm a mechanic, or I'm a, I, I work with a council, or whatever you do. I work in construction. I work on the island. But I want to say that need not define you, because what you are is not who you are. And you've got to see that. And God, Paul was a tent maker, but he was called to be an apostle. An apostle was certainly just a, a disciple of Jesus who, who had oversight over the you know, many churches and went around encouraging churches and leading and establishing. So Paul could see something more than just his tent making trade. Um, the truth is, I've come to understand, even as I worked at the power station, that I was a child of the living God first and foremost. 
And because I had that attitude, that framed me in how I treated other people. I treated other people with respect and love. And, but I also saw everybody as an opportunity to share Christ with. And, you know, we, Paul is saying, because I'm, I'm called. Can I just show you this passage of Scripture? Matthew 16. It's an interesting conversation Jesus has between himself and his disciples. He says, when Jesus came into the region of Sarai, Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I am? Uh, Say that I, the son of man, am. And so they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, some others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. It's interesting, Jesus used his old name. He's probably still coming to grips. In other words, with the reality that he's no longer a reed but a rock. Uh, Blessed are you, Simon Parjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I love this thought. Jesus comes to the disciples. He says, who do people say I am? They say John the Baptist, Elijah, etc. The crowd was probably trying to give Jesus some kind of context in the human understanding depending on who they knew about in Old Testament and they said oh well he's like Elijah or he's he's Elijah or he's a prophet or something like that but Jesus says come on you guys who do you say I am and Peter says you're the Messiah the son of the living God watch this Jesus doesn't say to Peter you're amazing Peter did you think that up all on your own who wants smart cookie Pete no he didn't say that what he said flesh and blood has not revealed this to you in other words Pete You didn't think this up yourself. You did not think that up yourself. I know because God has revealed that to you. And what I would like to just encourage us this morning and say, Jesus was saying nobody on earth or no position on earth or what you do is not going to reveal to you who you really are. But it's only when you get a glimpse and an understanding of an encounter of our Heavenly Father and our God in heaven and and what He speaks about you that you'll truly understand who you are. Truly understand who you are. Because we look in a mirror every day and it gives us an accurate interpretation of what we look like. You know, some of us look young, some of us look old, some of us got grey hair, some of us have got nice brown hair, some of us whatever a mirror never lies but the truth is you don't need to look as much as you look in the mirror to see the outward appearance you need to start to look into what God's face because then you truly see who you really are and you know and when I say God's face I'm saying you know when you just take the time and you just uh, worship him you take the time you look in his word he reflects back to you the reality of who you are and once again identity is established no one on earth can tell you who you are But I tell you, when you get it, and and people will, and people will encourage you, and that's fine. And people will inspire you and build you up and say, come on, you're a child of the living God. But I want to tell you, when you really, the penny drops is when you discover, when you say, hey, God, this is what you think about me. And you have a revelation of that truth of what God says. You're You're the son and child of the living God. Incredible. See, it's when you start to look into God's face. I always used to be amused when I, I didn't necessarily watch a lot of it, but I did watch a couple episodes of Australian Idol. And uh, people would come on there with incredible voices. They'd be fantastic. And they'd get down to the last few people, incredible voices. And, and you know, and some of them, and then they'd go on to win the show. And, and some of them went on to do great things, Guy Sebastian, I suppose. But some of them just faded out and never really... 
you never hear of them again. And, and yet they won a, a national show like that. And I was thinking, what, what, what happened with those people? And I, and I suppose in my heart, I, I was thinking, if their identity or their, their source of identity wasn't secure before they went on the show, sure, the, the tr- reality and truth is that it was never going to be secure after they came off the show. You're never going to find your identity in what people think of you or people voting for you or people saying, oh, yes, he's a good singer. And you're never going to find your identity in your ability and your talent. You're never going to find your identity in what other people just necessarily say. But you're going to find your identity clearly in what God thinks of you and what God says about you. And that's when you'll be secure. And I want to encourage, as Paul said, hey, you know, he said, come on. He said, I'm, I'm called to be, I might be a tent maker, but I'm called to be an apostle. And the truth is, God has spoken to me and said, that's what I'm going to be. And because of the encounter he had with God, man, he knew who he was. And my heart cry this morning is know who you are in God. And it, and it, it takes time sometimes just in his presence. And Ben Natoko spoke last Sunday morning. He says, sometimes you just got to breathe in his presence. Just be with him and let him invade your life. Start to see who you're called to be. Can I just, last thought, separated. Paul, he says, not only am I Paul, not only am I, um, you know, uh, uh, a servant, and not only am I called to be apostle, but I'm separated to the gospel of God. People, so often Christians, we sometimes recognize ourselves from what we're separated from. But I want you to know this morning, change it around and realize what you're separated to. Because we can, some, I think testimony is wonderful to talk about. Well, I used to do this, but I think we have to balance it and say, but now look what God is doing in my life. I love it when people come up and say, well, this is what used to happen. But let's not park our life in what we've been separated from. There comes a point in life where we just got to put that behind us because we've got to be separated Paul says, what I'm separated to, I'm separated to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm separated for something greater than what I've come out of, that's for sure. What I like about Paul is, he just talks about, now sometimes in scripture you'll see him give the account of what he used to do. But it was not to glorify it, but it was just to say, that's what I used to do, but now... Give glory to God, what, and this is what I now do. Now, I want to encourage us to live separated to, not separated from. Every now and then we'll remember and be thankful but what he's got for us. I want to be identified, uh, and I want to identify myself in all that God's got for me, not what he took from me or what I gave to him because I really didn't want it. Um, you know, many, many years ago, actually it's 28 years ago this year, uh, I was a bachelor, and uh, I lived by myself, but there was a guy who came to the Lord in this church, and he came and lived with me, and I discipled him for 18 months and spent time with him, and, and he was loved, he came to church here, he was loved and encouraged, and, uh, and he loved being here, but as much as my dear mate loved God and desperately tried to do His will, he struggled time and time again. And one of the things, he'd go back to some of his old life patterns and and then he'd come back to me and we'd pray together and he'd come out of it and we'd go on again. And then he'd go back and and for 18 months, I just sought to love him. But now in hindsight, I realize what the issues really were. 
And when he was a little boy, about six or seven, his mother died. And in her death, part of my mate's life, he died too, I think. And he never able to recuperate or never able to get over that. And, and to make matters worse, he had a, his father married again a couple of years later when he was probably about nine or ten. And, and though she was a nice lady, she could never be what he'd lost. And whenever she went to discipline him, he just saw that as he just rebelled because he wanted his mother, not a stepmother. And so he built up resentment and unforgiveness towards her and against, I think, himself and his father. And, and no wonder, and I was pretty naive in those days, but I could, I, now I see that my mate's identity was so based upon the pain and the hurt and the circumstances of back then. And, you know, he just needed to see what he was separated to and not separated from. He needed to come and just forgive and just say, God, I give that to you. I can't change my past. And you can't change your past. You can only change your future depending on the decisions you make today. And because of the past, he was stuck. And he needed to just let God come and encounter him. And though he did on many occasions, obviously there was doors of his heart that he just didn't open. And it really struggled. His identity was based on the circumstances and the pains of some of those things. And you know, we've all had pain and circumstance, haven't we? But can I encourage you today, don't let your identity, don't let your confidence, don't let your hope be in, stuck in those things. But let it be revitalized and renewed in an encounter with the living God. Can we stand this morning? Who are you? That's the question that I've asked myself, who am I? And I think there's a process that continues to go on in my life. I think there's a process that continues to go on in all of us. But today, my prayer would be, come on. Let God, let there be fresh encounters with our Heavenly Father. Just like Saul did, or Saul had happened to him and became a Paul. God wants you not to live what you're separated from, but to live in what you're separated to.